Welcome back to the Truck and Driver podcast. I'm Dougie Rankin and I'm joined tonight for the second time by Cameron Allen. Hey, the new guy. The new guy. <laughs> uh, who done all right in the podcast the, the, the other week. Your, uh, debut went, your debut went down well. It's nice feedback from people. Uh, the podcast's getting um, busier and busier all the time in terms of downloads and things. So thanks very much to everybody for that. We're trying to get out there and get these out every single week now. Uh, I've got some more plans for sort of special episodes. Maybe going to interview special guests and things in 2023. But for the moment, you are uh, calling in from the cab of your DAF XF. Where about are you tonight and what are you up to? I am in Quinnigarth Services, uh, Axelby Services there at Junction 51. <sighs> just off the A1, so uh, pulled in here t- just shortly after 6. Mm. Um, that's the big, the big cell, the, the big shell petrol station with loads of pumps at it. You got yeah. to turn it to the left in there, yeah. Yeah, in there. Uh, was surprised to get a space, to be honest. Do, do you know if you drive across the other side of the road where the McDonald's is, there's a rest I, area at the other side? Yeah, I've been in there. I go down to the they call it the old Leaming Bar services. So I've been in there right and often too. But try to get in here if I can. It's just a bit nicer than down there. Aye, mm-hmm. aye, uh, uh, down down there. Uh, you don't have to pay there anymore, as far as I could. Well, no, I, I didn't have to pay. Well, um, I, I was in. I was in a couple of times in the summer, and they've cameras and all up now. So seven seventeen fifty for a night. Oh, well, they've changed it. Oh, no, when I was I was in there. I've rented off of that Scania five thirty. I was in there for like four nights, I think, and it was free every night. But at the time, there was no facilities on offer either. There's still no facilities. You pay seventeen fifty to park in a stone oh. car park full of stones and potholes, yeah. and you don't even get a food voucher for the McDonald's. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, no wonder you're running in there. Yeah, that one that you're at is very busy. You have to get in there early on. I was surprised I got in because I've pulled in here at half four or five before and there's been no space and I got in there just must be whatever way the traffic is this evening I got in and there was plenty of space and I was chatting to the security guard there about half an hour ago mm. and he was saying there's still 15 spaces there so Oh that's good luck it's always a stress if you're running late and you're trying to get in somewhere because there's not I don't know, there's a road, the old road that runs down along the side of the motorway all the way down there, but there's no laybys or anything on that. Like, and you can run for miles and miles on that, and you won't get anywhere to park at the side of the you'll, road. You'll get a few. There's, there's a few entrances in the fields and stuff along that road I've parked mm-hmm. in before, but I try to get yeah, in the services if I can. Yeah, definitely the best option there, especially for skanking you for 1750. The other one, when it was free, it was great. You know, that's spot on, but nah. £22 to park in here. Oof. That's a, I mean, it should all be a lot cheaper than what it is, but the problem is business rates for land. It costs yeah. an incredible amount of money just to have land to park trucks on, and it's ridiculous. There should be an exemption from the government, the council, whatever, for the rates for truck stops so they can make it cheaper so you can A, build more truck stops, and B, it doesn't cost as much to park the things there. It's ridiculous. Some of the motorway services pricing, if there's a travel lodge attached to it, Sometimes you can get a travel lodge for less than what it would cost to park the truck in services, which is nonsense. Yeah. No, um, it's, it's ridiculous, the, the price they charge for them. And then most of the time, as you say, a lot of them, the ones along the motorway, they're not even secure parking. No. No, there's nothing in there. And they're getting cut and slashed all the time. And the motorway service providers don't care. And they wouldn't you know, try to tell us if you're charging them out about... 40 quid a night, you can't go and put like a man in a van to go and drive about and monitor things and that. Yeah, that's another ridiculous thing. That should be uh, enforced, that, that they should have security in these parts. We've been talking about all that for years, well, and nobody's, nobody's involved about anything. Sometimes I think as well, you do get cases where there's like clearly been some breakdown in management, but you've got somebody who's got a, a cut insider that's full of valuable stuff. And it gets emptied, it gets slashed down the sides and, you know, it's, it's full of, um, you know, uh, high value load. And they're like, well, you know, the transport planners, you know, that, that shouldn't have been allowed to park there. That should have, you should have organised things so that truck was parked somewhere safe with guaranteed security. Yeah. But uh, just there's plenty of crime going about. I tell you what, over the last couple of, I've been out the last two nights as well where Drummond's doing a bit of trunking, which I'll go into in a bit, but... We notice it when you're driving about at night and you're in the truck sort of one, two, three o'clock in the morning. See the amount of vans driving about in the road, unmarked vans, transits, Vivaros, things. Well, probably about half a dozen of them, I think. 
over the last yeah. two nights just driving about. They're like, yeah, what are they up to? Um, driving about because you never want to see sort of sort of the police driving about. And I bet, I bet, I almost guarantee you, just a couple of those vans all went up to no good. Oh, there's definitely a bit a few yeah. of them up, especially if you're up and down the A1. There, they'll be in. Round uh, a lot of the laybys trying to get diesel or whatever they can out of lorries. As you go up to Scotland, you go up the M74, you come off at Junction 13 and you can cut across. And it's all really rural area is around there. So the agriculture, farming and that. And it, I just, I, quite, a, quite a number of them you, you encounter um, yeah. sitting about the place. There was one sat in a layby. A few went past this. One was going pretty slow and he sped up when I caught up with him. And said, hmm. Strange. Where are you at Conigath at the moment? So yeah. are you going south or are you going back north? No, I'm I'm heading what? for the I'm heading for the ferry in the morning. So I do with the sixty six in the morning and on down on the M six and then seventy five down to Kern Ryan. I'm hoping it's gonna be very tight. I'll pull out of here about I think I can pull out of here about 10 past 3 in the morning so I'll pull out of here then and hopefully make the half 7 Stena to Belfast in the morning but if I don't I'll be first there for the half 11 You should get a good one over the 66 there's roadblocks on it there's a load of uh, 40 mile an hour average speed camera roadblocks are a bit annoying Yeah um, I mean obviously you can nick a bit on that but it's deserted at night everything. you can go like 44 through them and you don't get done on them the bother is you get when you get somebody in a car who doesn't want to go over 40 mile an hour at any point because if they do that, they're going to get done by the camera and their speedometer's five miles out, so they end up going through the roadblocks at like 32 mile an hour all the way. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's a bit rubbish now, but it should make, I'll be able to make good time up the 75 at that time of day too. Uh, okay, yeah, it is good if you can get out in the road early, really early in the morning and that, um, they can beat the, beat the wall and tribute or rush. There's that many trucks that are going like all the time, though. You can be out in the road at like three o'clock in the morning and you're stuck in a big bunch of trucks going up the motorway because all these trunkers are kind of caught up with each other and you end up. Yeah. Um, I used to do, well, I used to do trunking for, yeah, I did it for drummings for ages and I did two Warrington changeovers, which is, with that I've echo, it's a little bit slow. So I did four hours 31 the first night because I got stuck in some roadworks and I did 421 the second night. Which was better because I didn't get I didn't get stuck with it. Dropped it from four lanes down to one, which is all right. But I mean, the roads are just so busy with trucks at night. You see night shift lorries; it's just an endless stream of them going down. People don't appreciate like that's all the stuff that goes to your stores and everything. That's why everything's available next day, and yeah. all these services are so so busy with, with everything. And um, yeah, you can get caught if you get out bunched up all over your trucks because the thing's doing like fifty five. So it could be doing a bit more, a little bit more speed. Now. It could be doing the fifty-six for a Scottish trunk motor, fifty-seven, fifty-six point nine. Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, you get, you get stuck. And oh, there was a couple of two DPD lorries that held us out for ages. And I don't get see the guys that hold you out for ages. That's they flash you in. Yeah, <laughs> you just you just sat there and let me crawl it, and it's windy and there's rain lashing off the windscreen. You're sitting there like quite holding the steering wheel quite rigid because. You're sitting right beside this guy trying to get trying to get past him, and uh, I, they flash you. They flash you, and at the end, I'm like, do you do you like having a lorry sitting beside you for ages? I don't want another lorry near me. I want them away from me. Yeah. So if somebody comes past, they just like if the I mean some of them like the tag axle livestock trucks and things. They just go away past. But if somebody's going to come up on your shoulder and they're going to crawl past you, you just knock it back and let them go. I don't know what the mentality is for uh, just. Letting somebody do that. What they do as well now as well, because these trucks have the equal role functions as well, they don't do anything. They don't interfere with the truck. They don't intervene in it at all. So you'll get almost all the way past them, and then the truck might go into your eco role and they're holding more weight than you. So they'll then roll up the inside of you, and you're going to start doing the process again. Yeah. At which point I'm, which point I'm like screaming across the country, bastard. No. That doesn't happen if your truck does 56 mile an hour. You will not encounter people that do that. Yeah. The faster trucks that go over 56, a little bit over 56, they won't hold you out generally. If you come up on one and you've got one of those, they will generally sort of let you past, or oh, you're going to catch somebody up quick enough anyway and they get boxed in. Huh. No, it's, um, I hate it when you, get, when you get held out by somebody. 
for that long, and then then you start to see the amount of traffic you're holding up to. But uh, it's then, not, I'm going past somebody doing like fifty six and a half, and I've got somebody in my whole my bull barn, the whole set of lights all covered, nothing sitting by me, and I'm like, he's going to start blaming me, right? <laughs> yeah, but hey, a lot of the dealers at home, the the lorry dealers, they they won't put lorries up. They're coming out. Like I have, I've been in. I've staffed two or three times to put this, and she's she's sitting just about fifty five. Uh, so that's no, no right. I had I, I went and got daft recalibrated once because it was doing fifty three, and it was so slow I couldn't hold the top gear. And I actually, yeah. I took it in somewhere and just got it recalibrated on the day. It was a press demonstrator, but there should it's un, it's unusual to get a truck that comes out doing fifty six. They're all being undersped, and it's a problem for some applications. Because trucks are supposed to do 56 and they're designed to do 56 or 90 kilometers an hour. That's what the rev counter band is set for. And if you're yeah. never quite letting them get to that, then they're never quite doing what they're supposed to do. So and yeah, it's well out of order if you get one where it says it's doing 56 and it's doing 54. That's so frustrating that. And some, with Scottish operations and that, with Trump operations, they just go so far that they can't reach where they've got to go and they've got to go back and and do 56, but I don't know what this nonsense is. We're constantly, vastly underspeeding things. Because I'm not even asking, if you've got one that actually does 56, you'll really get overtaken. You're, off, you're in the top 5% of trucks on the road for speed. And then yeah. you've got that small percentile of the guys that are just like, whoosh, um, who might have that for sort of, they, they might have it for a good reason, or they might just have got, might have got lucky. Things like that these days, though, you've got to kind of be responsible. If you're fortunate enough to get a truck that, that, that um, does 56.999 miles an hour, say, you shouldn't go blasting past people all night with it because there's every chance that something would pop you in. Yeah. Gas you from a fast truck. I've heard that happen before. Um, I was a bit of jealousy in there, a bit of outrage. Oh, no, he's been flying past everybody all night, you yeah, it would be it would be nice to have a Lorena that was sitting at, as you say, just just under that fifty seven mark. Or or even a wee bit over it if you can get it. As far as the absolute maximum that they can, you can get within the scope of things, I think I think these days is probably like fifty eight. I reckon fifty nine's probably like really pushing it. You'd maybe get a fifty eight with a new set of tires on it. Yeah. And just be you know I mean there's plenty of them out there, do plenty of out there that but do it and it's um uh, trucks are supposed to in Britain be able to do fifty six, not fifty six, sixty miles an hour on the motorway anyway. So Yeah, it's um oh, it's very annoying now, but it's even see even getting a company now to put it up, even to put it up to fifty six, fifty seven. That's all that's all you want. The only one you say, I want fifty six miles an hour. I just wanted to do fifty six hours all I'll ever I'd ever ask of a tachograph operator. I don't want you to do anything illegal or adjust the key factor or anything. Just make it do 56 like it's supposed to. Yeah. And they come out, uh, somebody can, uh, and they can do it. Like, they can go and put it straight out. I don't know if some people are scared, but if it was a directive from uh, truck companies or anything like that as well, because it makes the fuel economy look better. If the computer thinks the thing's going faster than it is, then it's going to it's going to show better fuel economy on the dash as to what you're actually doing. And of course, it, the, the, the one fail-safe thing is to go and uh, get it done right before you change your tyres. That's the yeah. key. Well, it would always be good at drummings if your truck got a new set of tires on it because naturally it would then boost the speed the speed on it without anything be without anything being done to it. So you'd have one that was dawdling along at sort of fifty five and then it would it would go happy days. Yeah. But uh, it's it's getting I say it's getting more and more sort of uh, it's getting less common for for different trucks that actually do it fifty six when the manufacturers have designed them to do fifty six. Like you get your ultra slow guys these days, like your supermarkets and your maritimes and things that are running at like 50, 52. The trucks are totally not designed to do that. They're designed to set at that set speed. So you would have to alter the diff ratio of some standard, but the truck will never be able to hold 12 gear up. We constantly want to go into 11 because it won't hold it. So um, I don't know if some of those places, if there's been conversations had to say you've got to go and speed your truck up a bit. In which case, it's better anyway for them because, in theory, then you should be able to get a little bit more work done. But who knows? I've got a letter uh, that I discovered that was sent to the office in England, says so only just found its way to me now. 
There's a guy who's put in for that. I'd like to hear anybody's opinions on this. There's like a lorry driver put in for his medical. It must be 45, so it's like the first of the five good ones. So he's put in for his medical. And the doctors asked him, how many units of alcohol do you drink a week? And he said 16, one six, which isn't like an awful lot. And the doctors must have him written 60, six zero on the form and sent it away. And apparently he's now got a letter back from the DVLA saying, do not drive lorries. You're not allowed to drive lorries. You need to go on an alcohol rehabilitation scheme for like 12 months and prove to us that you don't drink all this alcohol. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to find out more about this story because there must be more to it. Because surely at some point, you know, somebody would look at that and go, um, this has come back and said this is 60 uh, units of alcohol. Um, can you uh, can you confirm that? Is that correct or anything? But it seems to be that they've taken the guy's licence off him and he's now got to go and battle to say, no, no, it wasn't really 60 units. And you would think it would be really easy to prove that as well, you know. Yeah. You just say, I'll prove it to you. And I'll prove that I don't drink all that. But I've not heard of that. I've not heard of that one before. I, I didn't know it would be that easy to lose your license from just getting a doctor to send off a form with the number six zero written on it instead of one six. Yeah, well, you'd imagine like a, a, a quick blood sample or something would be able to show that he doesn't drink that much. You would imagine, I don't know. Yeah, you'd think you'd be like, be able to get a hold of the goal. There's been clearly been a terrible mix up here, you know. I'm obviously not a raging alcoholic. Um, and I'll have to go and find out and stand by for more on that strange story. Is the DVLA so don't discount anything from being possible? Certainly, to be like, my mum's 42. 43 in January, so it's not that long until I've got to go and get my first uh, uh, age-related medical. So I'd better, better bear that in mind by that, by that point anyway. So I think what, what else has been topical in the news this week? Tell you what has been, which I don't know if you've been affected by, but I'm sure all the listeners will have. The, the middle-class tree-huggers just stop oil. In the country, it must be the most hated people in the country at this point for the blockades of the M25. They've been throwing paint on artwork and they've, they've actually caused an injury now because um, there's been an accident involving a police motorcyclist and a truck, maybe two trucks. So their actions are now injuring people. People can't get to cancer appointments, they can't get to operations, that people are dying indirectly because of what they're doing. It'll soon be directly somebody dies from the actions of this law. Have you have you been that far? Very far down do you go? Uh, any of this lot, anything to do with M25 is scary stuff tonight because these entitled scope bags are up there all the time, mucking about in gantries, mucking about in bridges and things. They should, if they glue themselves to a bridge, just leave them up there. They're going to crap their pants. Who cares? Yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. Like, thankfully, I haven't been affected by it. Um, Sort of for suffix as far as we go at the minute, so don't have to go near the, the 25. But um, I feel sorry for anybody that's got stuck in it, and I've seen plenty of videos, as I'm sure everybody has. But it's it's beyond a joke now. Um, what what they're trying to do, and even going that far, like I heard a thing that apparently they're not even allowed to go up and pull them off and like arrest them and take them away. The approach has been really soft on them. They are arresting them now and charging them with things, but you know, as soon as you've seen members of the public now, as soon as one of them sits down in the road, they're like, not right, grabbing them, move out the road. But then the other people that wind up getting charged for like assaulting them or something like that, you know. And it's absolutely ridiculous what they are trying to do. But did you ever get taught about what you use oil for at school, you know? Are you aware that like all plastics and everything are made by oil? Yeah. Yeah. Most people are. You know, we know that oil is not just petrol and diesel. It's fundamental, it's essential to society. Oil, you know, they, they, the world runs on oil. It's, it's given us a safe planet, well, in most places, a safe planet. It's made it safe, it's made it comfortable. And they're like, you know, we just, they want to stop fossil fuel production. And it's like, well, so do you want everybody to freeze to death? It's just, they are really becoming truly hated. We need oil and we need to move towards, say, renewables and things. Okay, we need to go and do that and other forms of fuel, but we're not ready for that yet. We need to keep using fuel responsibly until we get to that point and then can change over. All that's happened is with 
Like Germany deciding whether they're just going to use Vladimir Putin's gas. The EU is now outbid all the developing countries on stuff like natural gas and LNG. And now the developing, the poor countries can't afford it because we won't bid it from them because we won't produce our own because we won't open up our oil and gas fields. And just stop oil thinking this is a bad idea. So it's like, okay, so you're not just going to put money into the pockets of horrendous dictators then. But they're just, they're career useless people. They, they, they can't do anything, you know. See if we had like an apocalypse and, and everyone went to shit like Mad Max. The people would be all right with the trades people and that, you know. Yeah, it would be. I don't know that they'd want to start taking some serious action against them because, like, okay, maybe that's only the first major accident that's been a result of them up front. But as you say, there's all those people that have missed appointments and places where where they needed to be for possibly life and death situations. It's it's so unbelievably selfish and and deluded. The country, we are naturally progressing to using cleaner things anyway. Trucks and cars, everyone's so clean, so much cleaner now and more efficient. Central heating panels are so much more efficient. And it's all evolving naturally. If this is a cold country. People need to be able to keep warm. We should have affordable energy. And the fact that all these stupid governments have decided that it's okay to go and burn fossil fuels as long as you don't make your own. That's the logic behind it. If you buy it in from somewhere else, then that's all right. But if we make it, as far as I'm concerned, we should fully open up every single oil field in the country. And I don't even care. Yeah, you can go fracking as well. I don't even care. Let's have a go. You know, you can, I, I, I'm willing to grant a license for fracking in my back garden as long as I got a cut off it. <laughs> so what? So what? You know, you get like fire coming out your taps and things. You know, that's, that's pretty cool. But, and that entertains me. It's like a bunch of bundle at school, you know. Bo- boiling water straight out of the tap. Exactly. That's not polite, you know. <laughs> but I mean, that's, if, you, if we don't produce that ourselves, like Canada could solve this whole issue. Now, Canada's got the third biggest resources of oil and gas in the world. And they can't get a pipeline built from Canada down to America to go and distribute all this uh, oil and gas. Meanwhile, they're using trains, massive, massive, long trains, which are much less efficient for the environment than a pipeline to go transport what they're doing. But if Canada was to open up production, they could supply the world and it would put all the dictatorships, all the people with human rights records that are around this out of business. You know, they, you wouldn't have to worry about them. Yeah, but none of that's happening at all because all these political people are just uh, idiots. You know, anybody that wants. Anybody that shows interest in wanting to be a politician shouldn't be allowed to be one. You should have to be like selected by people on the basis of your morality, <laughs> your, your, your moral compass, you know, because anybody that wants to be an MP is too many of them have never actually had jobs either. They've just always been MPs. That's why they never understand the transport industry either. They don't have a clue about trucks or anything like that because they grew up in like a private school in London and anything, and they wouldn't know what Scania was about running over. And that's why they never get anywhere. There's nobody in transport and like the government or politics and anything like that uh, to go and who really understands any of these issues at all and would never get anything done. That's why you're always, uh, you're always struggling. Uh, Just Stop Oil, it'd be interesting to find out what's your experience being with Just Stop Oil. I did put a post on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter today and the, the language was something else, like rightfully so, like, you know, people are just absolutely spitting feathers about these, about these guys. Yeah, I, I don't blame them, to be honest. Now, what I wanted to um, ask was, you mentioned then, you've got an update for Truck and Driver for the next issue. Thank you very much for that. Uh, now, you'd mentioned no that at one point that you had a Scania. I did, yeah. Uh, do, well, t- do you want to tell us a bit about that? Well, t- do you want, tell us about your story with Artix. And lorries, because obviously you were keen to get driving post, like getting out of school and everything like that. But the company, your family company, had a rigid to begin with. Then you brought in the Arctic with the urban trailer. Yeah, we had rigids. Dad had rigids back in the day. We had a uh, all Mercedes. Um, we had one Scania going back, and that's what I started driving was a 2007 Mercedes Axor. And that was the first the first lorry I drove with my license. And then when that closed up, then I went and drove for loan transport in the in the Arctic then. And then I did I took an ocean off 
sort of at the same time we were starting Chirpy and Co up at the time as well. And I took a notion I would buy a unit myself and sort of sub it into Chirpy's work and like do the English side of it. Um, so I bought uh, 164. That, that is something I don't like to remember. <laughs> Oh dear! Oh no! Did it not go? Did, did, was that one six four that uh, they'd been they'd been in back plus that? Was it? Uh, yeah, it was. She was well well run, and uh, wasn't what I thought she was. Um, so anytime she went out, there was always something happened. Um, so she didn't really do much work. Uh, so yeah, let her go on, and then just worked hard with the the wee seven and a half tonner and. That's probably why she ended up in the state she was because she worked so hard. But uh, then we got to the stage we had to change. Or, well, we had to like, add something bigger. So as wow. I mentioned before, we had been looking at rigids and stuff as well. And um, this already came up and I was just like, well, we'll go with the unit and we'll try it if we can get the right urban mm. trailer, which took a while. We, we run the big trailer on its own, um, which proved to work but a lot of hard work especially in the places I be and then I had a couple of trailers lined up tried Urbans and I was there was a few auctions in England and I tried to get them but then they went for the age of them they still needed three or four grand money spent on them and they were just working into too much money and then there was mm. Um, a couple of other ones that I was looking at, and there was one in particular. Um, it was actually, I'd organised to go and see it, uh, and I was taking the lorry out in the points to lift it and see it, and then the day I was meant to go, I phoned them and they said it was gone. So oh, then, okay. then that wee urban that I have now, she came up, well, she didn't come up for sale. I, I was chatting to the fellow that owned her, and uh, he sort of said, take her with you to try her and see what you think. And mm. then he agreed to sell her then so yeah she's great wee trailer in every aspect she needs a bit of work done she's just after getting shoes there on the front axle and a new lift bracket lift axle kit on the passenger side and um, so hopefully now next year get her in she needs the chimes plated and welded around the back so we'll get that done and get her blasted and painted and the the curtains put onto her then so Oh, nice, good project that. The trailer all tidied up, matching it goes well if you've got a, if you've got a nice trailer to match match the match the truck. I admit, I was surprised when you mentioned that Scania. That was only like briefly. It seems like my first Foden that I bought as well. That was it drove fine on the test drive, and then never once went all right again. I just just one problem after another with the damn thing, and eventually it went away and had the engine stripped out it and used to keep another one, another one. Running back in the day, still a good way, good way to start out. Like you know, a one six four top line, whether or not it worked out, how you've owned one. It, it was it was nice, and I I suppose mm. I can say I I owned a V eight for a while. But <laughs> yeah, there. If anybody was starting out, and if anybody mm. asked me for advice, I would definitely say don't don't buy old. Well, not that old anyway, and don't buy a V eight. Mm. Not starting out, they're not. I could have probably went for something a wee bit better and higher spec and fresher than we did with the XF here, but I really wish this had been the lorry I'd bought back when I had bought the 164, to be honest. Mm-hmm. She's been a great lorry. She hasn't been without fault now, but just the fuel mm-hmm. economy, the comfort, the price of her and the cost of fixing her is just... Uh, they're, a safe, they're a safe bet. Yeah, generally, I mean, the DAFO DAF is thirty percent of the British market share, and people can be detractors and say, "Oh, well, this or that." You get bothered with wiring and things. You get bothered with this or that. Well, they must be doing something right if they've got thirty percent market share, given how competitive everything is, especially with modern track a modern six by two tractor unit with round about five hundred horsepower and the biggest cab. There's very little to, to choose between anything these days. Yeah. Um, although DAF uniquely has moved things on with the new XG, it has got a bigger cab than anything else. The bed is huge in it. And you look behind you, you've got all this 
extra space. They've never had in any any other truck. Yeah, um, my our our daft dealer there who we bought this off uh, that had been talked about that I was getting an XG on demo hasn't happened yet. So just just plug that in there too. Say to him, if he gives you the demonstrator, you'll get a right up and trucking driver about it, about how nice the truck is, and um, also about um, his um, his company will get a plug as well. There you go. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that would be work out all right. Yeah. Um, there's really clever the way they've designed the cab to get the extra space out of it. I've seen a few people have ordered XGs instead of XG pluses because it's just so big that you don't need the you don't need the XG plus. And the XF as well, which is the XF is now sort of more compar- comparable with the Scania R series, a little bit smaller, um, but still, still uh, useful, good for high payloads. And I would be quite, I would be as happy with the XF as I probably would be the XG or the XG plus because don't take up, don't take up a lot, of, don't take up a lot of space. The reports are as well that the five thirty is notably more lively than the old five thirty as well, and the computer seems to learn as well. The ECU will learn to your driving style, what weight you're hauling in the terrain, and after a while they do seem to liven up from like a baseline setting in the ECU, which is yeah. a which which is which is interesting. Daft could really, da, see if Daft would just go, come on, go 600, 580, come on, do it. I think they might, you know, I think there's, there's more power than all the new engines. The manufacturers have all brought new engines out for Euro 6E, even though people might not know it, a lot of them, they're all different turbochargers, heads, pistons, a lot of stuff going on in there. And every single one of these 13 litre engines will be able to crack 600 horsepower. And perfect, I'm perfectly sure, one one form or another. And I would imagine you, you might see uh, a couple of like lifts in power from manufacturers going forward as we get on towards Euro 7. But, and also the caveat to that is that that's probably because they're trying to push 13 wheels more than any bigger engines now. Like unless you're, I think, probably like a, um, I kind of move towards anything that you're doing at 44 tons or we want you to take a 13 litre going forward. But, you know, uh, the V8 is an icon, the FH16 is an icon as well. So, you know, money talks. <laughs> yeah, it does. And don't get me wrong, like your, your V8's nice and the extra, the extra cylinder's great for certain work and that bit of power. And extra horsepower is fantastic as well. Um, like yeah. I've I've driven most. I think the really only lorries I haven't done any work in would be the Aveco and the Man. But I've driven the rest of them. <laughs> My opinion now is they'll all give bother, no matter which one you go for at some stage. And it's yeah, now real, it's it's now really just down to which badge you want in the front because. Every one of them is a good lorry in its own way. Yeah, I, would, I agree with that. It's impossible unless you've unless you've spec'd something wrong or bought the wrong truck for your operation. You're not going to get a bad truck. I mean, aside from you, do get ones that give more bother than others. But again, there's still considering the technology that's in modern trucks these days. I mean, they do a lot of them run on and don't give uh, don't give very much bother at all. Um, yeah. All things, all things considered, and some of it comes down to like oh, the way that they're driven and the way that they're treated as well. Like certain certain types of truck won't tolerate sort of multiple double shifting agency abuse, but they'll be quite happy if they've got one driver on them uh, uh, who's just watches what he's doing with it and you know doesn't uh, doesn't thrash the thrash the thing to death. But it all comes into the dealer backup as well. You know, it depends what goes wrong, especially new trucks and all that. It's the, the dealer, uh, the dealer that makes it or breaks it. But there, there's lots of fleets that are using all sorts of different trucks now because they can't get the ones that they would usually buy. So there's a big opportunity out there for truck dealers and manufacturers to sell trucks to different people they wouldn't have been able to in the past. So yeah, without a doubt, like it's um, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of companies running more of a variety now. Maybe not so much around home. But I've definitely noticed a lot of the bigger companies over here have a better variety. But mm-hmm. whereas the ones around home, you're still the big companies are still the main choice, sort of all mm-hmm. Scania. So they are. There's there's no massive companies at home that's using really a massive variety of, of no, trucks. 
Now, Paul's always driving Scania. I mean, he's always usually always driving really nice Scanias and everything, which, oh, what a terrible thing for him and all that. But he's going to choke in. You'll hear him say, you know, he would love to get a shot of a Renault and Iveco and MAN, but he just never, never really encounters them, especially with the European work that he's sort of doing out of <laughs> Ireland. It's all going to be um, generally going to be Swedish stuff that you, Swedish stuff that you're on. Yeah. But, you know, it's good. To, I mean, we've got seven truck manufacturers plus. You've got your Mitsubishi and your Isuzu at the lighter end, and you've got the electric ones coming in, like Volta and Teva, I guess, as well. And um, we had Sino truck in tiny numbers for a short while and that coming out of Ireland as well, but nothing seems to have ever sort of happened with that. So I hope we, I hope we don't go down and have ever have any less than seven truck manufacturers. I like to, uh, I would have loved to have been around during the sort of the 80s and 90s heyday. Um, or British truck manufacturers where you still had Bedford, British Leyland, Foden, Sedan Atkinson and ERF. That would have been great. Yeah. Especially, all, think of all the press, boozy press events you could have gone in there back in the day and everything. Eh? Horsing, it, horsing, it down, horsing it down the motorway in your 14 litre ERF demo truck with no speed limiter on it, smoking your complimentary ERF cigarettes and that that probably gave you... <laughs> Yeah, it's it is a shame that those companies aren't going because any of the lorries that are still on the road seem to be going very well. Aye, it's it's true. Well, my plan I'm, I'm doing some special issues in the magazine next year. We're doing a British special. We're going to do heavy haulage. I think we're going to do Volvo and one other. I haven't decided yet. I might do new guys and old guys. So it's got a load of young guys in this, you know, a load of old boys and all that, and kind of try and bring them together to talk about what's different and things. But that would take a lot of effort. And I can't do that until I've recruited somebody. Just an idea. Anybody got yeah. any feedback on that idea, let me know. But with the British trucks, I was thinking about doing basically the Ford and Alpha versus ERFEC, um, because there's still loads of them going about. There's dozens of them still working all over the UK, um, especially if you go into certain areas of the country where you get these pockets of them. Uh, if yeah. there was like a certain one or two operators like them, or there was like, there used to be a really good dealership in that area back in the day. I'm thinking, what's the greatest survivor, the Alpha, the EC, and we'll go and find, try and find as many, lots of different companies. Well, not lots, a few different companies are running ECs and Alphas and talk to them about it because they've got the, the advantages and things and disadvantages. Listen, if you went back and there was like a nuclear apocalypse and it, there was like a, an electrical storm and it fried everything and like all you've got left is some old ERF, it's the only thing that will start and run because everything else is spiked. I could see that with yeah. the technology in that. <laughs> yeah. My gearbox ECU is fried, not a problem. This has got the good old turn splatter. Uh, I, that that was one of one of my ideas. Now it, it's been nice to have to have all that that variety. But the, the way that the global truck technology has gone, it costs billions and billions to go and build trucks and everything. So it was no longer possible for you to be assembling a few trucks with a Cummins engine in it or a fuller axle in that and doing it uh, in a shed in Oldham or something like that, like what like what they used to do back in the day. These are multinational mega, mega companies. And the only way the Brits would have been able to survive is if they had really gone into Europe and established themselves in the 60s and been big enough to survive. Um, but of course, there was so many of them as well. There was like, I mean, I said, you had Seddon and Atkinson back then and you had AEC and Guy and Albion and there was Thornycroft going back and further. I'm British Leyland bought an awful lot of them up. Uh, Ford, yeah. it Ford as well. Um, and yet, uh, there were so many uh, British little British companies. I suppose it was the same because you had Steyr from Austria and you had Magnus Deutz, a part of um, Iveco. And who was the other one? Pegasso from Spain. That's another one that's gone. There's Berlier, another one disappeared. Uh, a huge variety of... Uh, Variety of trucks all gone and now replaced by seven gigantic multinational corporations. And of course, Renault and Volvo are the same company. Scania and MAN are the same company. But they all work together anyway. Volvo and Mercedes-Benz are working together on electric trucks and charging infrastructure and hydrogen as well, I think. So they're all working together to share technology because of the sheer massive cost involved in all of it. Yeah. And Mitsubishi is owned by Mercedes, isn't it, too? Uh, aye, that's right. I Mitsubishi is. Yep, that's right. You get the press releases through from the for the for the same thing. Aye, it's all Daimler. That's uh, right enough. Aye, 
I suppose, uh, just to, to round things off tonight, uh, now, you know, I was speaking to you on WhatsApp during the week as well, because before I was out in that Iveco S-way, which um, I'm out again next week, so I'll have a full verdict for it then, I'd been playing Euro Truck Simulator, which you'd been uh, you'd been asking a few questions about as well, because I tell you, have you got like a PS4 or an Xbox or anything like that? Uh, well, there's a PS4 in the house, but the kids all mm. sort of... <laughs> lean towards the, the, the Wii and the Switch and stuff that's not really looked at anymore. Uh, well, see, what you need to get, you need to get yourself a PC for Euro Truck Simulator to get the kids set up on that with the steering wheel and the pedals so they can go and um, drive it The problem is they wouldn't get a chance on it because every time I get back, I'd be away driving again on my PC. <laughs> and that's, that's it because people say to me, what on earth would you want to go and play a video game about driving a lorry when you're a lorry driver? And I'm like, because I like video games just because I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't play it all the time, but I don't mind. I came in there. I did come in the other night and I'd driven up from England in the car. I'd come back from London. It was about a seven hour drive. I ended up playing Euro Truck Simulator at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> strange. And I know it's strange behavior, but I did. But uh, the good thing about it is, um, you can custom, you can do so much to it. You can modify the game so heavily. So you can make your truck have Cummins N14 open pipe exhaust noises. You can put big stacks up the back of it that blow, that blow black smoke and you can alter the weather and you can download all these packs for everything. So you've got all the real company logos and you've got all the real buildings and places and it's so, it, you can go so, so in depth with it. And the map is gigantic. I've got the whole map from the southern tip of Spain up to Finland and Russia. It's got everything in it. I, uh, I love explored that. And I've explored about 8% of the map. And yeah, I've adjusted it now, so it's got autumn weather on it as well, because it's autumn. And you can go and download weather, so, you're, so you can get like rainstorms and thunder and lightning and everything. And it's quite... It's quite atmospheric, and I've, well, I've got the steering wheel set up as well, but it's got all the buttons do so, and so it's got indicators, wipers, lights, and all that. It all works off the buttons on the steering wheel, and I've got the Scania 12-speed style manual gear lever, but it can do anything. I've got it set up as a 16-speed manual at the moment on a DAF XF space cab, um, which I upgraded. It was a 460 when I bought it, and then I got a new power line put in, and it's now a 510. Um, and I'd got the, I'd changed it, so it's got the walnut dash in it, uh, and I'd put side skirts on it and alloys and Michelin tyres and I'd done all that sort of stuff. I can't do that to a truck in real life, right? <laughs> I can only do it to the one that's in Euro Truck Simulator. And it does actually work like a proper manual gearbox. It works to the extent that if you go and program it so it's got a fuller road range of gearbox, it won't take the gear unless you match the revs. It will grind back against you. Uh-huh. Um Obviously, the dynamics of it aren't the same as a truck. The steering wheel's the size of like a, a you know, a, a, a a T-source, a bit like a go-kart wheel. But, I mean, you can set it out, so it does steer reasonably reasonably well. But I like having the manual gearbox in it and using like that straight pipe noise. So I'm sitting in my living room going, brap, brap, brap. <laughs> and it's good that you, you've got the retarder on it as well. I use the paddles on the steering wheel to work the retarder. So you can like flick the paddle and it'll bring the retarder on. And the other side, it takes it back off again. That was the best way I could work out to use it, using other controls on the steering wheel. Um, but that was my, my daft because I had bought a Renault Range T High as well because it was Renault who donated me the game in the first place, which motivated me to buy the steering wheel and everything for it to review it in the magazine. Um, so we did. Uh, so I got the Renault, but I haven't been using that that much. I've put an employed driver in it in the game, so he just drives it now. And I went back to my daft because it's a manual. And what I've done yeah. now is I have bought a Foden for the game. Now, you didn't get Foden's in the game, but you can buy modifications or you can download them. So you can download all sorts of different modified trucks. And this is a really good one. It's called Pay. I had to pay the guy for it, which I'm charging back to expenses for bucks. I'm reviewing it in the magazine. Oh, it was like <laughs> 20 quid. But I've now got a Foden. And the funny thing is, one of the skins available for it is Brumptons, which was the company that my maroon Foden was. Uh, that I bought from them. So technically, my food is in that game. Class. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go, I'll have to go and get that. Um, I haven't got back to it yet because my daft is currently sat in Germany going to deliver medical supplies to the Czech Republic. And then I'll have to make my way back to Edinburgh, where my operating centre is, um, to go and pick my food up, which I've bought from the daft dealer. Because what it does in the game, it just deletes one of the dafts and puts the food in over the top of it. Yeah. So that's done. 
So I've got that. So I've got a folding in Euro Truck Simulator now, and I've got loads of the mods downloaded. So it's like more realistic and more immersive and everything. And yeah, I really do. I mean, I could, I'm on deadline. So once I've come off this podcast, I need to go and sign some pages off in the magazine. But normal circumstance, I would quite happily go through there and um, set it up and have a play on it. Because if you're into video games, if you like driving lorries and all that, it is something you, it is something you could get into. If I was 12 years old and that, and that existed, I wouldn't do anything else. I wouldn't do any schoolwork or anything like, you know. Yeah. I would be playing Trent from school. I'd be sneaking back to the house and my parents were at work just to go and play that all day and pretend I'd been at school because it would just be the best thing in the world ever. And I think it's, it's, it should be developed more to help more kids get interested uh, in truck driving because the way that you can set up the steering wheel and the pedals and the gear stick and everything, it does give you such a good experience. And you can buy button boxes, like so you've got a dashboard full of controls as well. So you can be sitting there flicking all your switches for the air brakes, the wipers, and all this stuff like that. And there's a guy in America that does stuff where you can actually get a proper steering wheel fitted to the boss. Like, there's guys on YouTube who've got one, three monitors, one either side, and then one big one in the middle, so it's like a truck cab. And they're taking it too far, you know. I draw the line at just using my telly. Um, <laughs> but you know these guys have got to set up like a real actual truck set up and everything like some of them have got the dash clocks out of Kenworth and everything like installed into this desk and I'm like if you're going to that point with it then you really should learn to drive the real thing and go and do it you know I'm, I'm <laughs> thinking they should start using Euro Truck Simulator for doing like your, your modules like they un- should un- un- because- un- instead of doing like your theory go on to my, uh, Euro Truck Simulator and do stuff on that instead. It'd be far better than doing the, the the theory modules they give you. Tell you what, you could absolutely adapt it to do that. You could go to the DVSA uh, and get that game adapted to go and do a lot of stuff like that. Because I remember when I did modules back uh 2009, I think it was, I was having difficulty with them because it was that basic and shit compared to playing a video game. Because I was hitting the buttons to go like for hazards and things. And I was being too quick for it. And also, it was it was fascinating watching the video footage because it was at the time it was like a VHS tape running, and I'd marked two escorts and marked two Cavaliers and you know Orion gears and everything in this video because it was shot in the eighties. And I'm like, when the hell did they make this? It was so old fashioned. Now you've got a good point there where you could use the game for for stuff like that. You could you genuinely use it for certain aspects of driver training and things. There are proper simulators. There, there are companies out there as well who have actual simulators and they use them. There, there, was a, there was a controversial thing. It was a load of drivers from India or something like that who were being taught how to drive on our side of the road on the left-hand side on a simulator before they came over here. They had to clock up a certain amount of hours practice. And this simulator actually was like a real truck. It had the full steering wheel. The, the, the seat would bounce up and down and... I had the weight to the steering. And there were people going, that's absolutely shocking. And I was like, why would anybody be doing that? And I was like, well, it's a good idea to me. Aeroplane pilots use simulators all the time to fly. So if you would you prefer if a bunch yeah. of guys from like um, a country with a driving safety record of India if they were coming over here, would you rather have had them you do a couple of hundred hours in a simulator first or not? You know, what's to lose? Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you see the way they drive in them videos of their lorries and... Mm. Like I seen a video uh, there. It was was it a Magnum or something, and it had no cab, but they were still driving it. Ah, uh, <laughs> just crack on, you know. They're driving along, and like they've got like three wheels, and one of the wheels is like hanging up off the ground. So two of them are like leaning on another side to keep it up. Yeah, uh, bonkers. Like I don't see any problem with using sort of uh, yeah. using simulators or games like that at all. Round this one off. What are you up to this weekend? We're at the we're on the we're at the hump day now. We're on the, the, the slide down. You're heading back tomorrow. Do you have anything good planned or on that? Because we're in the run up to Christmas now, really. Not unbelievably. <laughs> get back up the road, get unloaded, uh, get loaded again tomorrow, and then head away down south with deliveries back up. Um, might have a few bits local to do on Saturday morning and then just get family time uh, with the missus and the wee ones and yeah it's getting to that time of year she's she's chatting about mm. having to go Christmas shopping so how old are you kids? Um, our wee doll she, she's five and then um, there's Dylan and he is 
12 and Kara is seven or eight, I think. <laughs> oh, well, it's, I mean, you, you're wee, you're wee five year old. I mean, she's just at the perfect age for Christmas being magical and not now, isn't it? This is just, uh, this is what it, that's what makes it good and what it's all about, I suppose. Eh? Expensive time of the year for you, though, eh? You'd better get out and get those deliveries made. Yeah, it's, uh, oh, here it's, it's, it's expensive, but it's it's nice when you get there on Christmas Day and they're all happy as Larry for a few days anyway. But, um, oh, absolutely. It's nice to get home as well and see them all. Uh, do, you, do, you get a bit, do you get a decent bit of downtime at Christmas? Uh, it just varies on the workload. Um, most years we'll work through to Christmas Eve and then um, back out the day after Boxing Day. Um, there has been years we've been out in Boxing Day, but we'll be back out probably two or three days anyway, uh, minimum oh, between Christmas and New Year's. Um, we try not to take it off in one lump because then it leaves it absolutely mental then the start of the year. Uh, it's a good, decent opportunity to get things done sometimes between Christmas and New Year. That, that bizarre week between Christmas and New Year, it's like no man's land. Whatever, all the excitement never in for Christmas is gone and it's just weird. It's all yeah. dark and cold, and you don't know what day it is, and you're all constipated because you've eaten three boxes of celebrations and that. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, any plans for the rest of the week yourself? Or? Well, I've got magazine deadline to get out the way. Um, I've got I've got to go on a photo shoot tomorrow. I'm going to get that S way photograph by Steve McCann, a photographer. I'll get that done. Uh, then I'm back out in the S way next week, and I've got a couple of days off because I've got some other projects and things to sort out with, with, with stuff somebody's asked me to help finish off a book about a company because the chap that was writing it had passed away so I'm kind of helping out with that a bit um, in terms of the weekend car Vauxhall stuff I think I need to go back to a scrapyard to get a load of old Vauxhall bits because I did a YouTube video that did really well in that scrapyard so I'll have to go and do another one and then get some bits and pieces and try and get my mate's Nova running. We've got a, a Nova 1.6 injection engine in it that will not run properly uh, and I'm going to try different injectors and like a different lumen to it. So. Busy. Oh, and go, ah, that, nah, that's, a, that's about it. You know, that's, that's it. If I'm not doing lorries I'm doing old voxels basically when I'm playing video games about lorries all mechanical in some way <laughs> basically so your cross is over and it, all, it all started with Smokey and the Bandit and the Dukes of Hazard. if it's not cars it's trucks never grew out it <laughs> <laughs> yeah two good films as well right right well you're up at about three o'clock in the morning I reckon to get you get on the road to get your ferry so I'll let you get on and get to bed thank you very much for coming on the podcast again no I'll say not. folks the new magazine the new magazine comes out a week on Friday which is the 18th alright Friday the 18th and that's got uh, Cameron's update in it um, and we shall catch up with you again on the podcast soon thank you very much cheers that'll do you all the best Dougie take care cheers bye 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 thanks for listening to the Truck and Driver podcast Please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To keep up to date with the latest news, 100% for drivers, visit truckanddriver.co.uk, where you can also subscribe to the print edition of Truck and Driver magazine, which publishes on the last Friday of every month. The Truck and Driver podcast is produced by Sound Rebel. To find out more, please visit soundrebel.co.uk.